This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Hi, my name is Charles Johnston and I am a Catholic uh, writer and blogger from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I've been a guest here on the Christian Circle Podcast for, uh, what is it, about a, a dozen or two dozen times <laughs> now. <laughs> Uh, I'm a convert to the faith from evangelical Christianity, and I really enjoy talking about all things Catholic. So you've been doing uh, saints with us for a long time, and today we're talking Uh about St. Francis of Assisi. And most people know him because of his popular prayer or hymn, you know, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. So what about St. Francis of Assisi and his early life? Well, whenever, yeah, whenever we talk about... uh, uh, I don't know how how you would describe the mega popular saints, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like Saint Francis of Assisi, uh, Mother Teresa, John Paul II, you know, any of these kind of like the the loves by everyone basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it always makes me nervous because everyone loves them for a different reason. You don't know what you're gonna, you know, you're gonna take off one crowd or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, and everyone's got their own image. They've they've built up of this person in their mind, so you really want to kind of, makes me nervous to talk about someone that's so well-known, basically, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, St. Francis is is probably, probably one of the most loved saints in the Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, apart from, like, the, the original, you know, the, the apostles, mm-hmm. or uh, the Blessed Mother, I'd say probably right behind the Blessed Mother and some of the apostles, you know, some of the apostles kind of get the shorter end of the stick, like uh, St. Barnabas, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, uh, you know, there's there's some other ones in there that nobody even really knows their name. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like John and Peter and James and Paul and the Blessed Mother. But besides them, St. Francis of Assisi is one of the most popular saints in the Catholic Church. And for good reason, too. You know, he founded, he founded a religious order that is one of the largest even to this day. And that was, was 800 and, 808 years ago. Over 805 years ago, it's it's over 800 years now, yeah. and they're still going, yeah. you know, all around the world, doing great things, spreading the gospel, and you know, doing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And they were one of the fastest growing at the moment of their conception. In fact, um, the Franciscan yeah. order grew so quickly that it was recognized immediately, and they eventually became custodians of the Holy Land, where you visited and were part of the church, well, right? Yeah, that's a funny thing. When you go, yeah, when you go to the Holy Land, uh, there's only a handful of churches. Like, there's some Protestant churches there, and there's some Eastern Orthodox churches there, but most of the churches that are built upon on the uh, the sites of Jesus' life, especially not so much the Old Testament sites, but like the sites from Jesus' life, are Catholic churches. Mm-hmm. And then the vast majority of them are Franciscan mm-hmm. churches. There's only one really that I could think of, because my aunt was just in the Holy Land right now with a group, and I was telling her place to go and stuff, and I pointed out to her the one church, uh, it's called Mensa, it's in Tagba, I think it's called the, the Church of the Primacy of Peter, and it's right on the shore of Galilee, and there's a little table inside, not a table, it's rocks inside, but it, it, there's a plaque in front of it that says Mensa Christi, mm. the table of Christ, it's mm. where Jesus prepared the fish and bread mm. that he ate with Peter and one of his post-resurrection appearances, and where he said, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, but that uh, that particular church is a Benedictine church. It's run by the Benedictines. 
So that's one of the only ones that I know of that's not a Franciscan church because they are they're called Custodia Terra Sancta, the custodians of the Holy Land. They have custody of all, all the holy sites that are Catholic holy sites. And like I said, there's some non-Catholic holy sites there too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the Franciscan order also takes uh, poverty very seriously, right? I mean, they uh, one of uh, St. Francis's original ideas was that they would live as close to Christ's life as possible. And so they are, they try to be, yeah. uh, take the vow of poverty very seriously. And this is quite um, ironic given that he was a rich man, the son of a merchant. Yeah, he grew up the son of a very wealthy man who was uh, a, uh, a cloth merchant in Assisi, Italy, you know, which is an area, it's in Umbria, it's, uh, it's north of Rome. And he was a very wealthy man, and Francis just had this, not always, now, now that's the thing to remember too, is he wasn't always this way. Mm. You know, he wasn't like he was born a saint. Yeah. You know, St. Francis actually said one time, I have been all things unholy. And if God can work through me, he can work through anyone. Mm. You know, yeah. because he wasn't just like St. Augustine and St. Paul and all these great saints. One of their common threads that runs through them is before they were great saints, they were great sinners. Mm. You know, they were they, they were really good at sinning. And uh, he was, you know, he's no, no, no different, St. Francis. Mm. So, yeah, he was the son of uh, a very wealthy merchant. And... I don't know if it was over time that he became kind of just disenfranchised with the whole materialism, you know, or if it was because of his conversion. Because mm-hmm. at the time, you know, where he was, even in Italy to this day, 90% of people's Catholic, you know. Yeah. So at the time, he was baptized as an infant. He was actually baptized as uh, John after John the Baptist, Giovanni. Okay. And he was baptized as an infant, so he was, you know, technically a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. But how many of us are technically Christians most of our lives? Nice. You know, you can throw a big ironic air quote around it when you say Christian, because yeah. they're not really, and he wasn't yeah. either. He was no different. And uh, it was when he had kind of this change of heart, this conversion of heart, that he really decided that it was in serving others that he really was rewarded, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a given we receive. And it's in dying we're born to eternal life. You know, that's yeah. part of his you know, famous prayer. Mm. But he really did just completely abandon wealth and not in a way like, you know, like the rich young ruler was told to give away everything he owned and follow Christ. Yeah. And that's what St. Francis seen himself as, the rich young ruler. Mm. So he was told to give away everything. And that wasn't, Jesus never told that to everyone. And poverty isn't for everyone, mm. you know. So we get this mistaken idea that Jesus was against wealth. Yeah. Like we were talking before we started how some people see Jesus as a hippie. Yeah. There's some people who see Jesus as this like socialist revolutionary too. Yeah. You know, that was against wealth completely. Mm. But Jesus said to the rich young ruler, give up everything you own because he could see in him what was holding him back from the kingdom. Mm. Right? It was his love of wealth. Mm. And the love of money is the root of all evil, it says in the Bible. Yeah. It isn't money itself, it's the love of money. Mm. So the rich young ruler was told to give up everything and follow after him. He couldn't do it, and he went away sad. But when Zacchaeus climbed the tree in Jericho to see Jesus, and Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree tonight, I'm going to dine with you. Mm. So he goes and dines with him, and he has this radical conversion. Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. And the way tax collectors made their money was they took however much was owed to Rome, and then they took a little extra. Mm. 
and that was their pay. It was ever however much they could squeeze out of somebody it was how much they got to keep. Mm-hmm. And so he said to Jesus, he said, I'm going to give away half of my wealth and everything I've ever taken that was ill-gotten. Mm-hmm. He was going to make restitution and give away half of his wealth. But he was a wealthy man, so half of his wealth would still be making fairly wealthy. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, you know, blessed are you, today's salvation has come to you. He didn't say, no, 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 Zacchaeus, you give away all of your wealth. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. He said he was going to give away half as well. So, but Francis seeing this radical detachment, not that Jesus hated wealth or hated any kind of material goods, but he's seen it as a way to better serve others by being completely and radically detached from all belongings. Mm-hmm. They don't own any. A Franciscan doesn't own anything personally. Mm, yeah. I think, I believe modern day Franciscans own their habit. They might not even own their habit technically. Like they might have to share that if they had to. And they own. Uh, their psalter, you know, their song, their mm, book of psalms yeah. that they pray the divine yeah. liturgy with. Yeah. But I think that's it. Maybe a rosary. Okay. Everything else they have, they have to share. Okay. In community. And uh, this came from uh, e- even the the direction that uh, Saint Francis took. Basically, he hears this vision from this call from Christ saying, "Repair my church." And Christ right. isn't even telling him, give up your wealth or whatever. Christ is just telling him, build my church back. Right, yeah, rebuild my church. Well, at the time, too, you got to remember when Francis is, like the time that he lived in, so it's the early 13th century, mm-hmm. the church is in dire need of reform. Yeah. There's there's heresy spreading throughout. Uh, the Albigasian heresy was just kind of taking off, and it was spreading all through... Uh, so that's what St. Dominic, who was kind of a contemporary of St. Francis, mm-hmm. he comes along and he he fights against the Albigasians. Mm-hmm. He was he went on the Albigasian crusade, you know? Yeah. And so there's his heresy that like basically taken over northern Spain, southern Italy, southern France, parts of Alpine Italy. Uh, there's corruption in the church. There's there's all kinds of like bad stuff happening. And Francis knows you would know objectively that if it was time for, there needed to be some reforms done here, you know, there needed to be something done about this. Mm. And God tells him, he speaks him from this cross of this church, the San, uh, San Damiano, San Damiano, in, uh, just outside of Assisi, and he says, rebuild my church. So Francis takes this to mean, literally, rebuild this chapel. So he goes, and he, he steals cloth from his father, mm. and sells it, and tries to use the proceeds to rebuild the church, and his father finds out, and there's a big kerfuffle between him and his father. Mm. But he takes it literally as in rebuild my church, but what God was telling him was rebuild my church, the body of Christ, you know, yeah. rebuild the institution of the church, not this yeah. particular building, yeah. you know? And that's what Francis, that's where Francis was a real, he was a reformer, but he really didn't do anything. He wasn't like, uh, the Counter-Reformation, you know, like uh, the Council of Trent or anything like that, where mm-hmm. they really set out to set this. He just reformed through love. Yeah. Through, this, yeah. through radical love. Yeah. You know, love as I have loved you, love others, Christ told his apostles, and Francis did that. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it was through his radical love, radical poverty, and radical commitment to the gospel that he, he changed the culture of the church by inspiring others rather than telling them what to do. He inspired everyone to be more Christ-like. And he never became a priest, right? He was only ordained as a oh, deacon. Yeah. yeah. 
he was ordained as a deacon against his will. Oh. He, he didn't. He didn't even want to be a. He didn't want to be a priest. He didn't want to be a deacon. He just wanted to be a brother. Because when you when you meet a Franciscan, they all dress the same, mm. you know, mm. and they're all brothers. Yeah. So there's different like, but then there's there's uh, priests that are also Franciscan. So there's mm. Franciscan priests, but then there's Franciscan brothers, and they just live in community with the priests. Mm. They're just as much a Franciscan as the priest. Yeah. But they're just not priests, you know. And he didn't want to be a priest. He just wanted to help the poor. He wanted to preach the love of Christ to others. He wanted to be Christ in the world. He wanted to be the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ. You know, he just, he just didn't want to be a priest. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if he never felt himself worthy to be a priest or he just never felt called to it. I don't know. Okay. And for those who are interested, uh, there's also a third order, right? So people from the laity yeah. and the clergy can be part of the um, uh, third order without really taking any vows of the Franciscans. Right, yeah, there's third order, there's a uh, third order of uh, of a few uh, religious uh, communities. I've been actually investigating uh, joining the third order Dominican myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's third order Franciscans, there's, uh, they don't call them third order, there's Benedictine Oblates, I think they call them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's basically, it's essentially the same thing, a lay uh, Benedictine. Yeah. And uh, I think there's other ones too, probably. I don't know. Those are the three that I'm most familiar with: Franciscan, uh, Benedictine, and Dominican. Mm -hmm. But if you're attracted to that, you know, Franciscan type lifestyle, <laughs> and you wanna, you know, if you wanna join in community, not and live in community with them as a friar or as a nun with you know the four sisters of Saint Clair. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to, if you want to live out that spirituality in your station in life, so as a husband or a wife or a single person, whatever, you can join the late Franciscans. It's a great, great thing to do for spiritual growth. Yeah. And they're quite invested in education. As far as I know, um, especially um, in India and the Middle East, they are heavily invested in education. They run schools, and they run colleges, junior colleges, which are very faith-based. Oh, yeah? Yeah, when I think of education-based, uh, Orders. I usually think of the, the, the I mean, the Jesuits. Oh, okay. okay. They're the first one here in America. It seems like every uh, every Catholic high school is a Jesuit high school. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's strange because I think one of the most prominent Jesuits took up the name of Saint Francis, right? Right. Yeah. When he was elected, I wasn't even Catholic when he was elected, but I was listening to the radio, and I was very, I was very on the outside of the church, but at the same time, like at the fringe. You know, <laughs> I was just about just about to make the plunge. But uh, I remember listening to the radio, and they come on, and uh, whoever it was, it was a master ceremony. He's come out. I was listening to the the news on the radio, and he come out and said, uh, "A bain blows path." you know, we have a pope. Mm. And he said his name is, and I heard him say Francesco. And I said Francesco. <laughs> yeah, right? me too. I was thinking, yeah, Francis. There's never been a pope, Francis. I, I started know. thinking, and then the commentators were saying in English, like trying to translate it, like he's going to be Pope Francis the first. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they said who it was, Jorge Mario Bergoglio. And I thought, because I, I kind of like had their whole, I had a newspaper in front of me with their whole spreadsheet, like I was uh, watching the NFL draft, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I went down, I found him and said, friend, he said, uh, Jesuit. I said, okay, so he must have took Francis. I figured Francis Xavier. Yeah, yeah. Who was one of the founders of the Jesuits. I said, oh, it must be Francis Xavier. Oh, that's cool. And then, I, I don't know if it was days later, we found out during this first interview that it was for St. Francis of Assisi. Isn't that strange? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's kind of a strange twist. I guess not strange, because he is, like I said, one of the most beloved saints in the Catholic <laughs> Church. But 
I don't know. You'd expect a Franciscan to take the name Francis. I not know. At all. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not a Jesuit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess it's also a reflection that there's a return to the call of um, the vow of poverty and sharing mm. our sharing our wealth and also reforming the church at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Reforming it through example. That's what France has done. Mm. Saint Francis of Assisi, and he. Uh, yeah. He's. When his father, his father actually went crazy after he uh, stole the cloth to try to rebuild the church that mm -hmm. he thought God was speaking to him to rebuild. Mm -hmm. And uh, his father drug him before, he thought he lost his mind, and he drug him before the bishop mm -hmm. and made him, he was going to make him renounce his, uh, he wanted to make Francis renounce his inheritance. Mm -hmm. And so Francis said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, he went along with it. And he said, not only do I renounce my inheritance, I renounce everything I own and took off his clothes. Mm. And he walked out just in his underwear and a hair shirt, which is like a penance thing people would wear back in the day. It was real uncomfortable. And uh, some reports say that when he was outside, he walked into the woods. Like, he left completely. That was it. He left everything his father ever gave them, everything he owned. Mm -hmm. And when he got out of the woods, he got beat by robbers and stripped of his undergarments and his hair shirt. Mm -hmm. They took that. Mm -hmm. And so then he was just walked away naked and he was happy. Mm. Didn't have a thing in the world. <laughs> Didn't own a single single thing, and he was never been more happy and more free. And and I guess it's it's kind of similar uh, to what we see in today's reading as well, right? Um, the call to give up everything we fear, like we fear this loss of wealth, we fear the loss of mm. our life, we fear so many things because we love all these things. We love. Our, yeah. our homes, whatever, well, I, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, I notice it myself. But, I mean, not that I'm, <laughs> I have not reached St. Francis of Assisi <laughs> level of detachment from things. I still, I, I still own things. I still like things. I but I used to, before I became Catholic, I, and even like the first year I, I, I was Catholic, I used to, there's certain things I collected and I liked, you know, some nicer things. I liked having stuff, like, I liked stuff. Yeah, and it's mm. hard to explain. <laughs> I don't like stuff anymore. anymore. I don't know if it's yeah. just me getting older now with three kids and they take all my <laughs> stuff anyway. So I technically don't have any stuff. I have my cell phone. That's about it. Uh, I just don't, I don't really care about things anymore. I don't care mm. about stuff. I care about my family. I care about God. Uh, but I don't care about things. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me if I have the newest gadget or the newest, mm. you know, like, and my wife will say to me, like, what do you want me to get you for your birthday? Because my birthday is coming up right now. Oh. And I said, I'm completely happy. I'm content. <laughs> and I never was content before. Like, I, there was always that one more thing. There was always that, mm. you know, you had to work real hard to get this yeah. whatever. You know, this new car, this new whatever it was. And I just feel, I don't know, for the last couple of years, I feel perfectly at peace. Mm. Like, I don't, you don't need things. These, mm. none, none of these things you chase after your whole life. Yeah. And it's, it's as Western, and don't get me wrong, I love Western society, you know? <laughs> like, the good parts of Western society. There's some, a lot of bad stuff going on in Western society. But, this, like, Western work ethic of, of you need more stuff. Yeah. That's what life's all about, is more stuff. Mm. And it's not about trying to build a better life for your family. It's not about any of these things. It's about stuff. Mm. Like, look at the commercials you see. None, yeah. none of the commercials are for, you know, it's for invest to make a retirement fund so that you can move away from your children and live in a little retirement village away from everyone, <laughs> you know, and play yeah. games as a 70-year-old. You can play play games with all your old friends 
away from your family. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not about family anymore. It's not yeah. about, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like this is weird. Like, they're trying to sell us this life that I don't want. Mm -hmm. And, and all these, like, the commercials you see for, if it isn't a prescription drug commercial, <laughs> I mean, I see them all day long. I don't know what to deal with that. But, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm content with what I have. I don't, you know. And that's what St. Francis, I, I don't, I think my wife would probably kill me if I were at St. Francis level of detachment where I just start giving everything away. But, you know, there really is a, a middle ground there, like everything in life. You know, there's the golden mean, like uh, Aristotle would say, you know, mm. between, uh, I guess, being Scrooge McDuck mm. and me and St. Francis of Assisi, you know. So there is that golden mean. And I think the Holy Spirit does the job of clarifying things as you get closer oh, yeah. and closer. Yeah. And then Yeah, you, I mean yeah. it's 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 really it's what's important. What mm. is important. Mm. You know? Jesus asked and this is a question I ask myself all the time. When uh John the Baptist, when Jesus comes up out of the water, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, you know, two of the John the Baptist's apostles turn and start following Jesus. And it was yeah. one of them was Saint Andrew. Mm. And Jesus turned around after they'd been following for a little bit, and he said, what do you seek? Mm. He asked him point blank, what do you seek? Mm. And they didn't really answer, and they kind of gave a roundabout answer. They said, hey, where are you staying? Mm. I don't know what kind of answer that is. <laughs> you know? like they didn't, I, maybe they didn't know what to say at the time. Yeah. But he said, what do you seek? And I, I ask myself that all the time mm. in, you know, in the voice of Christ, saying, like, yeah. what is it, Charlie? What is it you seek? Mm. And... Really, the only thing that's important, the only thing that matters, is things eternal. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's what St. Paul says. Keep your eyes on things above. Yeah. Yeah. The things that are eternal are important. Stuff, you know, rusts. Yeah. It withers away. You know, it's nothing here on earth is eternal. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Except for your soul and my soul. Yeah. And going to heaven to live forever with God. That's the most important thing. And your family is also important. Yeah. But things are not important mm. you know and that you gotta really realize that you gotta put you gotta and it is it's god does it he shows you what is important in life and where to prioritize your time prioritize your time seeking after him and seeking a better relationship with your family and not seeking after the next electronic that comes out because there's always going to be another new thing mm -hmm. you know yeah. and it's if you live chasing after that it's a dog a dog race you know yeah. <laughs> you're never going to get ahead yeah. It's a greyhound chasing a little rabbit around the track. And I think you've mentioned this. We've we've uh, gone on. We've mentioned this a number of times in many many podcasts. I think. I think every time there's a, a saint that is somehow associated with <laughs> with poverty, we we kind of mention this. I think uh, we we've said this before for somebody else as well. But um, what is the main legacy now of Saint Francis apart from the education, apart from um, this this message of love, which easier said than done, we we don't really practice. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so what is this legacy? And if we have to do what he did, like through love, how do we go about doing right. this? Just living out the gospel. I mean, Jesus, like we weren't told, hey, love your neighbor if you find a chance. <laughs> you know, like hey, if you hey hey guy, Jesus didn't say hey guys. You know, if you, if you find the opportunity and the time, if you can fit it into your schedule, <laughs> love your neighbor. You know, can you, Jesus literally said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Mm. 
So it was, he said, a new commandment I give to you. So he was putting that on the level with the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Right? He's telling them, this is a commandment I'm giving you. Mm-hmm. Love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Jesus loved us sacrificially until death. Until death, yeah. You know, death on a cross, the most excruciating, that's literally the word excruciating, comes from to be crucified. Mm-hmm. So he loved us until death. And he tells us that's our commandment is to love one another. And it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard to love people that you don't think is deserving of your love. Mm-hmm. But are we deserving of God's love? Yeah. You know, we can't be like the uh, the ungrateful servant or the wicked servant, You know, the one that goes out and is forgiven of his death that he could never possibly repay, mm-hmm. and then goes out and beats his fellow servant for a debt that he could pay back in a few weeks' time if he just gave him time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the wicked servant went out and done that, and we... I mean, we pray it every time at Mass. Every every time we go to Mass, we pray the, the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. And we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those mm. who trespass against us. There's a contingent clause placed upon our forgiveness. It's for as we forgive others. How do we forgive others is by loving them. Yeah. You know, it's easier to forgive someone you love than someone you don't love. Yeah. Even though we're supposed to pray for our enemies. You know, so mm. it goes. And it's, you know, I always think about the uh, the story of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. Mm. You know? The Good Samaritan was helped not by the priest and not by the Levite, all these leaders of the Jewish community. He was helped by the Samaritan, someone who wasn't even part of the community. Yeah. And then Jesus looked and said, now who was his neighbor? Because yeah. you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor. And then yeah. the one person in the crowd said, well, who is my neighbor? And so he goes into the story of the Good Samaritan. Everyone is our neighbor. Jesus expanded the definition of neighbor and people that are you know, part of the family mm. to the whole world, all humanity. Everyone's made in the image and likeness of God, so everyone's deserving of our love, and we're commanded to love them. So that's, I think, the legacy of St. Francis, is he showed us that not only are we failing to live up to this commandment, yeah. you know, but he showed us that it's humanly possible. You can do this. You know, it's not, it's really not humanly possible. With God, all things are possible, but mm. a human can, through the help of God, love everyone unconditionally. And I think it was um, St. Francis who said, um, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. The impossible. Yeah. 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 And and I think uh, what you're saying was, is also great at this time because it's hard. Um, we Now we're in such multicultural churches that we, we tend to... Um, look down on or we tend to say oh well this church belongs to x or this church belongs to y and um, i think it's also harder because we keep saying we need to love people love people but it's it's really difficult when you know there are issues within the church itself so yeah it's it's good that you mentioned um loving people but how do we do it yeah that's a million dollar question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what does Pope love, Francis say about it? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas said love is an act of the will. You know, it's willing the good of another. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so loving your neighbor doesn't mean having warm and fuzzy feelings about them. Mm. It's not the same as love. Like There's different kinds of love in the Bible, yeah, too. Yeah. There's agape, there's eros, there's uh, philios. There's different levels of love. It's willing the good of another. It's saying to someone that I wish you the best. I mm-hmm. really do have the best intentions for you. I hope that God blesses you. It's going out there and it's seeking the best for them. It's, it's willing the best for them. And it's 
it's wanting the best for them. That's what loving your neighbor means. You know, and then if they need help, obviously. Mm, yeah. You know, if someone's, that's what, you know, James says in the letter, uh, in his epistle, it says, what good is it if someone's laying cold and I tell them, you know, be warm and well fed and then walk past them yeah, without yeah. giving them my cloak, yeah. you know? So it isn't going to do anyone any good if they're, if they're laying on the street bleeding from a head wound and you walk by and say, I wish the best for you and you keep on walking. Or I'll pray for you. No. That's even worse. Right. I'll, I'll pray for you and you keep on. No. If someone's obviously in need of help, help them. Yeah. And this you know? could make it a, a little inconvenient, right? Like for the when I keep thinking about the Good Samaritan, I'm I'm thinking this guy was going somewhere. Right. He had something yeah. to do, and he still stops. He makes time, and he does this thing. I would have I would have been thinking, oh, I've got some place to go. Right. I've got places to go for people to see. And also, he took he took the wounded man into a hotel, and he mm. put him up in a hotel, and he pays for his room. Pays for it. And says anything anything extra, I'll. I'll put on my tab and I'll pay you when I get back. And so yeah. he put himself out way out there. And like I said, the Samaritans and the Jews were like enemies of each other. Mm -hmm. They they did not they did not get a, to say they didn't get along would be uh, an understatement. <laughs> the uh, if you read uh, Josephus's uh, Antiquities yes. of the Jews, yeah, yeah. there's there's one part where he tells a story about uh, I think it was about. It was after the birth of Christ. I think it was after the birth of Christ, but it was before Pilate became the governor of Judea. Mm. So somewhere around like maybe 15 or 20, Samaritans came down to the Temple Mount mm. in Jerusalem, and they brought with them human bones in their pockets, mm, okay. and they scattered them all over the Temple Mount to defile the Temple Mount mm. because they knew that would defile it, and the Jews would go crazy, and they did. Yeah. And there was, <laughs> there was almost a war between them. So Jesus is telling these people who didn't like Samaritans to begin with that, hey, you know those guys that defiled our temple? Mm. Yeah, they're your brothers too. Okay. You know, so that really <laughs> wouldn't go. It's like imagine walking into uh, New York City in 1941 mm. and telling them how we got to love the Germans and the Japanese. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. These are people we're literally enemies with right now, and you want to tell us how we're supposed to love them. So it does mean that it can it's going to get inconvenient that oh, loving yeah. our neighbors is going to cost us to a certain extent. Oh yeah. Look at the great martyrs of love, you mm. know like uh Maximilian Kolbe. Yeah. It cost him everything. And like uh St. Damien of Molokai. Mm. You know look at him. He went out to the leper colony. He loved the unlovable and the untouchable society and he died of leprosy. Yeah. You know and then St. Francis of Assisi himself, he died at age what was he? 44, 45. Yeah, 44. I think, yeah. but he did have the stigmata, didn't he? Yeah, he had the stigmata. He got the stigmata, but I mean, that isn't what killed him. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just, he was ill from living life on the road as a beggar. I mean, the thing about homeless people, they don't really, people that are homeless don't mm -hmm. live that long generally. Mm -hmm. You know, not as much as a well-fed, someone that's well-fed, well-housed, yeah. clothed. It just, it's hard on the body. Sometimes. Yeah. And St. Francis like pretty much lived as a beggar mm. for many years. And it just took its toll on his health. Anything that we should, other than this, that you think we should pick up from St. Francis of Assisi? Uh, how about his uh, yeah. love for the environment? Yeah, there's that. And there's also his, uh, uh, his boldness. Uh, he wanted to be a soldier early on in life. And he abandoned it. He, abandoned, he was going on 
I don't know if it was the second or third crusade he was going on, and then he ended up turning around because he got told by God, like, a little bit outside of town, you're, you know, this isn't what I want from you, basically. Mm. And he turned around and came back. But later on, after he founded the brother, after he founded the order, and after he, uh, so after it was kind of an established, you know, he had a few hundred followers and everything, he decided that he was going to go on crusade after all, but it was going to be a different kind of crusade. Yeah. A very different kind. He went straight to Syria during the uh, Fifth Crusade. He went straight to Syria, and he walked right into the tent of the Sultan during, during the war. And they actually thought he was crazy, so they let him in. You know, because here's this barefoot man in mm. beggar's robes, yeah. walked all the way here from Italy, and he wants to talk to the Sultan. The Sultan let him in, and he, he preached to the Sultan and tried to convert the Sultan. And uh, supposedly the Sultan told him, you know, I would convert, but both of us would be murdered. Mm. <laughs> he said, to your beautiful religion, he called it a religion of love. Okay. And, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't convert the Sultan, and he didn't end the war, but he was willing to put his life on the line to bring about peace. Because, mm. I mean, I can't think of anything more dangerous than walking into the Sultan's camp and trying to personally con- convert the 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 caliph of the uh, you know the sultan of the caliphate. Like imagine walking into Raqqa, right know. now, trying to convert Abu Bakr al Baghdadi. It, <laughs> it it wouldn't end well for you, but it you know worked out for him. Yeah. But because of that, he got uh, the Franciscans got safe passage to go to Jerusalem, <laughs> and then from there, they eventually the Pope gave them the custody of the Holy Land for all the pilgrim shrines. Mm-hmm. In Israel, like we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. And um, what else? In everything, one of the things about Saint Francis is that a lot of people really like, like you said, about the environmentalism, mm-hmm. is he saw God in everything, and not like a pantheistic kind of way, yeah. like walk over this tree and worship <laughs> it because it's God, you know. Yeah. But he saw God in everything because God created everything. Mm. So in all things. He saw an image of the Creator, which made all things. Mm. You know, it's a beautiful way to look at things in life mm. too. Is everything? We, I mean, we know that everything we have in life itself is a gift. Mm. And Saint Paul said that you know, in Him, everything moves and, and holds together and has its being. Yeah. You know that everything is held together. Everything's held together by the will of God. Yeah. So I mean, at any moment, He's continually creating the universe, and not just a, it wasn't just a one-time event. God created the world, yeah, in the beginning, but at every moment of our existence, he's holding us in creation. You know, mm-hmm. He's holding us in existence. Mm-hmm. And St. Francis seen this. He saw this in a way that, you know, I don't know if nobody had seen it before, mm-hmm. or if it just, he, he was, the first, I don't know if he was the first to see it this way, or if he just really popularized it, but seeing God in everything around you, you know, and that's why that canical, you know, he sung mechanical of the sun. Yeah, yeah. And if you sing it as just like, you know, because I've heard people singing it as just kind of like this ode to nature, you mm. know. <laughs> but it isn't, I mean, nature without God is just, it's just plants and animals. You know, it's just plants and animals. It's nothing mm-hmm. really special. Yeah. But the idea that God ordered all things the way they are and created them and set into motion this whole system that is nature points to the creator, you know, like St. Thomas's fifth argument, the teleological argument, 
that all things point to the creator because everything is a contingent being yeah. that points to the only necessary being in the entire universe, which is God. And so St. Francis seen that in a beautiful kind of way, but not in a way that would make him like a pantheist, like, you know, some hippie that was out worshiping a tree. And, and if you actually look at the trees, you would even, they even say like, even the trees hold up their hands in, in praise to a maker that has created Right, them. yeah. 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 Uh, everything's been created by God, and he, he recognized that. Yeah. And I mean, we all know that, and even like, there's never been an atheistic society, so even primitive societies, mm -hmm. back in like the Stone Age, <laughs> or anywhere in the world, if you look at any, everyone knew that there was something greater than them. Yeah. They knew they, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not... It's everything points to something greater because we're all contingent. We all, mm. if we weren't created by our parents, we wouldn't exist. Yeah. If that tree wasn't planted, it wouldn't exist. But everything exists, and why does it exist? And everyone knows that there's some point to it, except for modern atheists say, oh no, the world's pointless and they're all going to die, and that's it. <laughs> it's a very hopeless ideology. <laughs> you know? I don't know why anyone, it would take a lot of faith to be an atheist, too, to think <laughs> that all of this just happened. Yeah. And, and, no and one of the things uh, that you said was, I think, uh, I don't know who said this, but I was reading the other day and it said, true humility is in knowing that everything that we have does come from God. Nothing we have is what we've achieved on our own. Everything right, has yeah. come from our maker. Yeah. And, and one of the things, uh, I moved here and, and uh, there's this place I saw the other day. They have a board which says yoga for babies. And I was just telling my mother, they ha they're starting yoga for babies and toddlers. And, and the one thing she said was, everyone is seeking something. They, yeah. We inherently know we have to worship something. We want something. We're seeking something. But we don't want to admit that it is God himself. Right. So they, that's what this whole, you know, in, in America, they think that, like, anything Eastern is cool now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're, and they're seeking after all these... In, I feel like saying, you know what the original, you know, Eastern religion is. Christianity is the Eastern religion. Yeah. You know, it was started by a uh, Jew from the Middle East. Yeah. But uh, a Jewish man who happened to also be God. But yeah, they think that any because it's like, like you said, everyone's seeking something, and everyone's seeking something to give their life meaning mm. and something yeah. of higher power than themselves. But Christianity is just too Western, and it's too mainstream you know it's like this hipster idea <laughs> that anything mainstream can't be good well math is mainstream yeah. math's pretty good you know <laughs> i feel like saying you know like uh all these things that we we take for granted yeah you know like your automobile is pretty mainstream mm. but they don't like mainstream things they want to try something that's cutting edge and hip yeah. and so they get into all like these like and the more obscure something is the better <laughs> yes too, yes exactly like, now yoga's too mainstream, so now people's doing, like, even more obscure... No, just... But why don't we look for things that are true, rather than just things that are hip? Yeah. Yeah, they're doing yoga for babies. I, I actually seen a sign for that today, too. And it was just... And they have... You can get your yoga, you can have your baby and your dog doing yoga together at the same time. <laughs> and it's a hot yoga place, too, so they're trying to temperature up to, like, 120... <laughs> it's crazy but those same people and there's also too, I know there's a lot I'm on a couple of like local you know like the local community Facebook groups yeah and every so often someone posts something like there's bad energies in my house and I think it's trying to kill me <laughs> can somebody you know it's bad spirits or bad energies and the comments are amazing 
people <laughs> telling them to do everything from rub pistachios all over their body <laughs> to do jumping jacks in a circle while chanting the national anthem, all these different things. But then if you say, well, why don't you pray about Pre- it? Or maybe call a priest. I yeah. think you need an exorcism. They laugh at you. Mm. So my suggestion is crazy. You're trying to get rid of demons with almond oil. Yeah. But, you know, how is oil going to affect a spiritual being? If you just stop and think about it for a second. Yeah. You're, okay, you think that your house is infested with evil spirits. I, it might be. It sounds like it. Like some of their descriptions, there's doors slamming, there's weird words. On, okay. I think you have a demon in your house. Call a priest. It's pretty sensible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, two plus two equals four. But it's that's too mainstream. They want to do something that's more spiritual but not religious. It's like that whole thing, I'm spiritual but not religious. Mm. And it is. It's it's just a symptom of our culture where everything traditional is looked down upon. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and everyone's trying to find those new cutting-edge things. They're all going to rob the... the I would even replace cutting edge by crazy. How is an essential oil going that's a natural, you know, it, it's something that's material. It can affect an immaterial spiritual being, mm. you know? And I mean, we use oils. In our tradition, we use oil, holy oil, and we use holy water. But it isn't the water and it isn't the oil. It's, it's the fact that it's imparting the blessing of God in it. Mm. That's what makes it powerful. You know, you splash someone with water, it doesn't do anything. Holy water, and then it sizzles, then you run away and call a priest. <laughs> but it isn't, and it just, and you say that, but that's what I always, whenever I see things like that, I think, like, these people will rub crystals all over their body. Yeah, yeah. But if you even suggested praying to God about something, they laugh. And mm. why? Why is my suggestion more ridiculous than the crystals? <laughs> like, how is that? I don't understand it. I can't put myself in that mindset, though. I, I just, I really don't comprehend it. Yeah, but it just goes to show how, how, how Satan has won over so many battles because we are going further and yeah. further away, and we cannot admit that that we need God. Yeah, but the first step to recover is admitting you have a problem. Yeah, we have a spiritual problem in America. Yeah, yeah. but in the, all the Western world. Yeah, all over, all over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, American, you know, it's where we live, so it's what we see mostly. But Western Europe's even worse. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny, too, like, I, you know, we've talked about the polls a few times. The polls are doing great as far as <laughs> their church is concerned, you know. And if we could really, I think we need to import more polls <laughs> to do a population exchange with France and Poland or something. But then that might just damage Poland, so. Yeah. Or, I don't know. But like Eastern Europe is doing great as far as yeah. as far as I know. I've never been to Eastern Europe, but from what I've heard, and then even places like Iraq. Now Iraq, the, the Christian population is down way, 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 way down yeah. from what it was like yeah. ten years ago. They've been killed and massacred and everything. God bless them. But I talked to a priest from Iraq, a Chaldean priest, mm-hmm. and he said, "Pray for us, but don't pity us, mm-hmm. because wow. our faith is stronger than it has ever been, and we're praying for you mm-hmm. in the West." <laughs> And I was like, wow, it really convicted me because, you know, look at what they're going through yeah. and they're praying for us. Yeah. But it just goes to show how global we are, right? We're not just um, in one place or the other. We're all over. We're all supporting each other. And I think that's the thing. The beauty of the body of Christ is that it's, it's, it works together. Yeah. It's universal. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love. That's one of my favorite things, like I said, about the Catholic Church is... I go to a Byzantine parish every so often in uh, in Arizona, uh, 
I'm really trying to branch out and experience some of the other 23 Eastern churches, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But even just in the Latin church, we have all around the world, and not just in Western Europe and North and South America. You know, in uh, Sri Lanka, I think them churches that were bombed in Sri Lanka were Latin yeah. churches. Uh, in India, they yeah. have the Sirio, uh, what is it called? Malabar. Sirio Malakar. Malabar, yeah. Sirio Malabar, right. Yeah, and then there's uh, there's a Syriac Catholic Church mm-hmm. and a Chaldean Catholic Church. Yeah. It's just, it's everywhere in every country around the world except for maybe North Korea. Yeah. There's a Catholic Church of one, you know, one right or another. Yeah. And I think it's, it's amazing. I think it's it's one of the biggest testaments to the Catholic Church yeah. that it is universal, you know. It's everywhere. It's for all people. Any books that you would suggest reading about him? Uh... Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah. I would suggest, so, uh, to look up the uh, Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. Because mm-hmm. yes, I don't know how, yes. I don't know how it started, but there's like 20 different branches, I guess you'd say, mm. of Franciscans. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's there's the, like, the, the original ones, uh, OFM is the yeah, Order of yeah. uh, Friars Minor. And then there's the Capuchins mm-hmm. and, uh, there's a, there's a bunch. I think are Trappist Franciscans. I don't know if they're Franciscans or Benedictines. Uh, mm. But there's a bunch of Franciscan orders, and there's ones that were started in the South Bronx. Yeah. In the, was it the 70s? I think. Yeah. Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. Yeah. And uh, they actually have a uh, a mission in Phoenix, not far from me. I've never been able to make it over. It's on mm. an Indian reservation. Yeah. Uh, but I've heard great things about them, and I, I follow them on Facebook and stuff. Yeah, but they're, they're on YouTube. They're on YouTube as well, right? Yeah, yeah. One, uh, one of them. Uh, I think it's. I want to say Father Elijah. He's a singer and like plays the acoustic guitar and stuff. Sings beautiful songs. But they, uh, they, they do great work with kind of the poor yeah. and uh, you know very spirit filled people. Yeah. So I look them up and see if they're. You know, if you're listening, then look them up. They might have a uh, a mission or a parish close to you can go visit them. Yeah. And they live very austere lives. Like I have a friend whose spiritual oh. director is oh, yeah. uh, is is part of that uh, ministry, and she says they they sleep on the floor. Like <laughs> that's yeah. extreme. But yeah, they, they have very, very very austere lives. Extreme poverty. Yeah. Yeah. But that's their uh, that's their charism. You know? Yeah, and if any of you young men are listening and are, are interested, just take a look at them. Maybe uh, your vocation is out there with the uh, Franciscan yeah. Fathers of the Renewal. Serving, serving the poor with yeah. uh, with the brothers of Saint Francis. Thank you, Charles, for coming to our show again right. and for doing another one of our Saint podcasts. We hope to have you no again problem, in another. Right. Yeah, in another. Right. Find me at nowthatimcatholic.com. So page facebook.com slash catholic convert 2016 and you can find my book on amazon it's called the beauty of the mass mm-hmm. i'll walk through the uh the central right of catholic worship and uh i'm also on twitter i try not to be so much these days because it seems like i have to go to confession every time i go on twitter and I fight <laughs> with somebody so <laughs> it's the world's largest echo chamber and it's, yeah. it's crazy and you do speaking engagements as well right you just finished your last uh, one yeah Okay. I actually, yeah, I done, uh, I done a uh, one day retreat at my parish, and I spoke at a conference in uh, Texas. Uh, gosh, I guess that was about four months ago. <laughs> but yeah, I do. Uh, I guess I'm doing speaking engagements. I always had a fear of public speaking, but I felt like God was kind of forcing me into it. So rather than waiting for the whale to swallow me, like Joan and I just said, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> fine, God, you win." 
<laughs> he always does. Yeah, so yeah, 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 he always does. So you might as well. That's the lesson to learn. God's gonna get his way, so you might as well go along with it rather than fight it. Mm-hmm.